In the light of the current crisis, it is important that we point out the following audio drama includes scenes set in a hospital and references to illness and dying. These are necessary plot elements allowing us to get to the rest of the story, which we hope you will consider an escapist fantasy. If these scenes are likely to upset you, please avoid this episode and join us next week when we will provide a synopsis of the plot so that you can continue to follow our story. The Angel's Calling by Victoria J. Price An audio drama from the Alternative Stories and Fake Realities Podcast Part 1 The Girl and the Angel Many worlds exist alongside our own. Some are very similar, some are completely unrecognizable. The world of Ohinian is one such world that shares a likeness to Earth, where angels exist and travel backwards and forwards to Earth to help the dying. Our story begins in London, a night of slanting rain and wind. Two young women are riding a motorcycle through the storm. Look out! Trust me. Hold on. Bend coming up! I see it. Shit! Shit! An angel touches down on the roof of a bus stop, just in time to see the motorbike lose control. Its back wheel slides outwards and the bike careers onto its side through the rain. He's too late. He braces his wings against the wind as he watches, unable to intervene. I shouldn't have been out in this weather. What were they thinking? But he cannot help, only wait. Wait and watch as the two red-headed sisters are thrown from their bike, sliding and scraping along the road in their leathers as if it were ice. He holds his breath as neither of them move. Then she moves, barely. But her sister is still, too still. Sophie? Sophie? Can you hear me? Fear. That's her. At just 21, Alexander is the youngest to lead the angels in all of Ohinian's history. Right now, the fate of the people and creatures of this world rest in the hands of the girl crawling through the rain. Fear Aldridge. That's the girl from the witch's description. But angels have responsibilities on Earth, too. A calling. And Alexander feels it now as Fia's sister Sophie holds on to the last few moments of her life. This never gets any easier. Hold on. Stay with us. Where are their emergency services? 
the flashing lights and sirens. Why is no one coming for them? The angel cannot help. He has no power to heal the dying girl. He leaps from the shelter roof and walks, invisible amongst the wreckage. Sophie's life is slipping away from her, and he can do nothing to stop it. Fear calls for her sister, sobs erupting from her in broken, painful gasps. As she begins to drag herself towards Sophie with her one good arm, he can do nothing. She pulls off her helmet, her auburn hair sticking to her face in the rain. Ah! My arm! Sophie! Talk to me! Please! Please talk to me! We're in the middle of London. Where is everyone? He scans the road as he rises to his feet and drags a hand through his hair. It's late and there are no other vehicles around, no signs of any people. Why had they gone out in this weather at this time? His hands tighten into fists at his side. He can't wait any longer. The tugging grows stronger, an invisible thread warning him a life is unravelling before him. Death approaches. This never gets any easier. He lies down on the wet tarmac next to the motionless girl. For a second, their eyes meet. I'm here with you. I... I can't feel anything. You're safe. Nothing else can hurt you, but we're running out of time. With their fingers entwined, he feels the last of her life slipping away from her. We're going to get up now, okay? Yes. Okay. The edges of her, the spirit Sophie he is holding onto, flicker and shimmer with blue. She looks down to see herself, motionless on the cold, wet surface of the road. They always look back. Why do they torture themselves? So still. I've got you, Sophie. I'll hold on until you're ready. Can I say goodbye? To fear? Of course you can. Just don't let go of my hand. Finally. Someone's coming to help. Sophie? Sophie? Wake up! Please! Fear sees only the body, crumpled and broken, newly robbed of its life. She cannot see her sister's spirit and the angel holding on to it as they stand over her. She can't see us? No. She can't. Well, she... Is she going to be okay? Yes. The ambulance is here. She'll survive. Will you watch over her? Always. I'm... I'm ready now. Alexander smiles, drops Sophie's hands, and in a flash, she's gone. The connection goes with her at once, the invisible thread broken, his duty complete. He's never truly understood how it worked. The connection between an angel and the dying had to be made to tether the spirit. And once the angel releases them, the spirits are free to go to wherever spirits go. All he knows for certain is that the ones who don't let him make that connection still wander the earth, restless and unhappy. 
Can you hear me? Yeah. Good, that's good. My name's Sarah, and we're going to get you to the hospital. What's your name? Via. My sister. Help my sister, please. Don't worry, Fia. My colleague is with your sister. We're going to move you now, OK? I need to put this on your head first. Alexander sits in the rain beside Fia, unseen, as the ambulance crew brace her neck, position her on a board and carry her into the ambulance. He rides on the roof of the ambulance as it makes its way to the hospital, listening to the mumbled voices below and the ambulance crew explaining that Sophie is dead. Fia... I'm really sorry to have to tell you your sister didn't make it. She passed away at the scene of the accident. I'm so sorry for you. No! No! ...scene of RTA at Dunmore Street. Two casualties, one deceased at scene. Another with multiple injuries. Conscious and able to communicate to crew. Prox, 18 years, white, female. Name, Thea Aldridge. That's Foxtrot India Alpha Aldridge. I'll need a team at the ambulance entrance to meet us with the trolley and a drip stand. Thea, we're going to take you inside, okay? No, no, no. Alexander follows her through the hospital, the smell of hand sanitizer and blood filling his nostrils as more of those threads begin to tug at him. Murmurs hit him from every corner of the hospital. I'll have to leave her for now. These people are taking care of her. I have work to do. Alexander makes his way through the hospital. A little girl waves at him as he walks through the corridor. It's always unnerved him. Some can see him and others can't. Mostly children. Sometimes adults too, but often when it's too late. The thread pulls him into the intensive care ward to a bed in the corner. A young man sits beside it, and in the bed, Alexander finds the end of the thread. The old man's breathing is laboured, his oxygen mask too big on his gaunt face. His chest rises and falls. His grey gown presses against the outline of his ribs. Cataracts cloud his blue eyes and he holds Alexander's gaze. Alexander takes the old man's hand in his. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. And so the long night begins. been just over a day since the accident and no one has visited fear here's your tea love didn't touch your lunch thank you her bed sits in the corner of the ward closest to the window and her gaze never leaves the roof line of the city beyond she had cried throughout the night while the other patients were sleeping but not a single tear escapes her eyes now as she stares out the window at the sun dripping behind office blocks and residential towers. This hospital. I haven't seen this much death in a while. Alexander sits in the chair beside her bed, having returned there each time after attending to his duties. 
Taking on his new role as leader has prevented him from traveling to Earth as frequently as he'd have liked to. He's still adjusting to his responsibilities, eager to continue his father's good work. All this sitting is making me restless. This hospital is making me restless. And I want nothing more than to push off from that window and soar and soar until the wind drowns out my thoughts. But I won't leave her. Why has no one been to visit? Hello, Fia. I just need to check your sling and your stitches. Sure. Just the dislocated shoulder's the worst of it. You were lucky, weren't you? Let me see those stitches on your arm. You need to keep them nice and clean. We need to give these fingernails a soak, though, don't we? Mm-hmm. Your helmet saved your life, you know. It was my sister's helmet. I could have prevented this, but who am I to decide who lives or dies? Or any angel, for that matter. All angels are taught never to intervene in the lives of those on Earth, only to carry out their duty when someone is dying. Alexander had been following the instructions of the Ohinian witches. He had found Fia just as she had arrived home with her sister, their arms full of bags of food. He had followed them up the stairs into their flat and watched as they prepared dinner together, chatting away about their day. He had watched Fia laugh, a hand bracing the counter as she shook, full of joy, weightless. That weightlessness is gone now. Her loss is written all over her. All done. Thank you. I should have said something back in the flat, should have made myself known. But Sophie was there the whole time. How, how could I have risked it? I have to be sure. Have to witness fear, talk to a creature. And there were none in their small flat. Animals. That's what they call them here. He had waited on the roof. He had sat as the night grew darker and the clouds broke. Heavy rain quickly pooling in puddles on the ground below. And then a motorbike had sounded and was away down the street behind him so fast he had trouble keeping up with the stream of red hair blowing like ribbons in the wind. One girl wearing a helmet, one without. Someone is dying. Not her. Someone else. Back in the direction of the intensive care ward. Fear will be fine. Is she... Is she counting her breaths? Alexander makes his way towards the ICU without needing to look at the signs. Why has no one visited? She's only 17, the witches said. Where is the rest of her family? Alexander busies himself with his duties in the hospital, struggling to keep up with all the threads tugging at him. A woman with a nasal cannula lying on a gurney looks directly at him as he walks by. Although she is suffering, she is not dying yet and a more imminent death calls to him. A tiny child lays in an incubator. Her mother sits beside her, stroking her hand and crying. Alexander holds onto the infant spirit for as long as he can, giving the mother as many precious moments as he can offer her. No matter how many deaths he witnesses, each one weighs down on him as if he were experiencing it for the first time. The absence of those who are no longer with him is like a shadow that follows him wherever he goes. Lost in his thoughts, 
he makes his way back to Fia's ward. No, I'm not family, but there isn't any family left. I'm sorry, it's family only. Do you understand me? She's 17, and she has no family. No one is coming, so you have to let this family-only rule slide and let me see fear. The young woman's long braid reflects the fluorescent lights above, turning strands of glossy black to blue. Her eyes narrow as she straightens her shoulders. Her hands hold tightly to a bunch of flowers as if she needs them to keep herself in check. She's small and lean, her toned arms pushing against the leather of her jacket. But the nurse is unwavering and doesn't seem to care. Alexander knows it's exhaustion, rather than any cruelty on the nurse's part that keeps her silent, her gaze empty. Alexander follows the young woman into the ward and takes a seat at the bed opposite Fears. The woman looks right at him, but says nothing. Why would she? No one would believe her anyway. Fear! Oh my goodness! Joe, how did you know I was here? Alexander steps closer, pulling his wings in tight as small as he can make them in the cramped ward for fear of knocking a tray or one of the strange metal poles dangling tubes. If Joe has noticed him, she doesn't let it show. A nurse called the gym. When they asked if we had an emergency contact on file for you. Not a friend, then. Her instructor. Or a tutor, perhaps, judging by the stance Joe held in the hallway. Clever. My gym pass was in my purse. So you know the rest. Her chest rises and falls again, in that too steady rhythm. She's counting her breaths again. I'm so sorry, Fear. There's just... No words. But I'm here. And I'm going to help you, okay? It's my fault. She... She gave me her helmet. I felt so stupid. Shh, shh. It's okay. I'll stay with you. She's always loved that stupid bike. It's just... It happened so fast. We only went out because Sophie wanted to... She was all I had. There's no other family, Joe. I know, I'm here. I'll do whatever you need, okay? Sophie was the organiser, not me. She'd have already planned the whole funeral by now. You know, she once delivered a set of glass eyes. And the guy she delivered them to showed her every single one before popping one into an empty socket. (sighs) She used to do that pop every time she told the story. (laughs) That's disgusting! Henry. I haven't called Henry. I'll do it. I'll be right back. As tears stream down Fia's cheeks, Alexander paces at the foot of her bed, helpless. He cannot console her, nor offer any words of comfort. He can give her no glimmer of hope. Her sister is gone, and there is no undoing it. 
I could have prevented this. Hazel, she's the Earth Witch I need to find and question. That's what Lady Nor, the young witch from Ahinion who had sought his alliance, had told him. The Angel's Alliance. She loved their home, and she'd fight to save it, Nor had said. And so would he. Alexander walks towards the British Museum. A book in the window of an old bookshop catches his attention. Gabriel's Blessings, the title reads in cursive letters. Below the title spreads a painting of an angel swathed in a white gown. One hand stretches upwards towards a shaft of light and the other holds a bunch of white flowers. Gabriel, my ancestor, the first angel. From his world, not from this one, as all angels are. All come from Ahinion, and from Gabriel they had learned the gift of setting spirits free. A story quite different from the one Alexander knows he'd find if he leaped through the pages of that book. He stares at his reflection in the window of the shop. Stubble peppers his chin, but his blue eyes are still bright. <sighs> You've gone many more days than this without sleep. He smooths a hand through his hair trying to neaten it where it falls just below his ears. His brow furrows as he catches sight of the mud on his arms and across his bare chest from lying in the rain beside Sophie. I'm sure Hazel has seen far worse than mud in her days. If any of the people walking past look up, will they catch my reflection in the glass? Alexander never really understood how it worked, even though he'd been taught at school. Something about planes of existence occupying the same space. He brushes at the mud on his arms, but it's no use. A leader must always look the part. That's what father would have said. <sighs> Bathing will have to wait. Brown eyes meet his through the glass. Hazel? Hazel leaves the bookshop, but does not address him. She walks straight past him, and he follows silently past a church with a grand, columned entrance, past old red-brick buildings and shops. She crosses a road and walks straight into a small park, sitting beneath a looming building of white stone, accented with columns and tall, metal-framed windows. Hazel scans the park. Alexander follows her gaze to a homeless man asleep on a bench and a woman in a far corner walking her dog, I see no dangers here. Finally, Hazel sits in the shadow of a large tree, her back pushed up against it, her hand brushing the grass beside her as she looks ahead. Well met, Angel. It's good to meet you. Nor spoke highly of you. He holds out a hand, but Hazel shakes her head. <laughs> right, of course, in case anyone sees. This wasn't how he'd expected this meeting to go. Hazel is still scanning the park, alert, would it be so bad to appear as if you're talking to yourself? <laughs> Alexander has no weapons here. He saw no reason to bring them to Earth. But the way Hazel's eyes will not settle, and the way her gaze does not meet his, makes him wish for the weight of his bow against his back, for the comforting press of a pummel against his wings. How is she? <sighs> Fear is well. Her sister did not make it. Although I'm... 
sure you already know that. Yes. A regrettable accident. But Fia is the one you need to take back to Ahinian, not Sophie. A regrettable accident. Alexander surveys the park for any signs of an assailant. The homeless man turns over on his bench, and the dog walker has left. Fia is safe in the hospital, isn't she? She is. I... uh, I have a daughter too. Not far off Fia's age. She has a motorbike too. It, It could have been her. The witch seems young to Alexander. Too young to have a teenage daughter. Her face is bright and fresh. Her eyes alert. But the way they dart from shadow to tree, as if she's been constantly looking over her shoulder her whole life, tells him all he needs to know. Hazel is frightened of something. How did you get here? Only angels can pass from Ohinion to Earth and back again. The windows between worlds were accessible only to them. For anyone else, it was one way into Ohinion and no return. Yet here Hazel sits, a messenger of the Lady Nor. Ohinion holds so many secrets. Too many. I was born here. My daughter too. But we're not here to talk about me, Alexander. We're here to talk about her. Alexander's thoughts wandered to fear, gazing out of her hospital window. Joe had come back the next day and the next. But Henry, her boyfriend, hadn't visited until just before Alexander left to look for Hazel. Alexander couldn't stomach watching it, the way Henry sauntered into the ward after telling the nurse he was family, the way he sat on the edge of Fia's bed. Henry had given up trying to speak to Fia after a few failed attempts and had instead pulled out his phone and tapped away at it, leaving Fia to stare out of the window. Alexander had felt a flash of anger watching it all, even though he knew he had no right to. The shock was written all over Fia and I've only known her a few days. Why couldn't Henry see it too? Somehow, Fia still managed to thank the nurses, the catering staff, and the cleaner who took away her untouched meals. Henry had just left her to it. A young man enters the park, dressed in a black suit and shirt, the top button undone. He glances in Hazel's direction, appreciative eyes rolling from her waist to her face. Then, his eyes meet Alexander's, just for a second, before he strides to a bench and pulls out his phone, disinterested. He sees you. He's not the first to have seen me. Not even on this visit. Many of the witches here are not as friendly as my brothers and sisters in Ahinion. I don't recognise him from my coven, but then... I am not in the inner circle. Far from it. We need to be quick if he's watching. Don't take your eyes off him and watch the exits. The man is still looking at his phone. The exits are clear. No one else has entered the park. I have watched Fear for some time. She has not yet harnessed her gift, but it is there. I often see her staring at pigeons. Pigeons? That's quite a presumption to base an entire prophecy on. Isn't it? Another man enters the park, dressed in a similar black uniform, and sits on the same bench. 
The two men greet each other as if they're friends. What if fear isn't the one? Then what? Look for another girl, another destined to save Ohinion? We don't have time to start searching again. Ohinion's son is dying. The creatures of Alexander's world are behaving in ways they never have before, and fear could help. She could unite them before the sun dies, before darkness falls and the people and the creatures of Ohinion scatter, or worse. The responsibility is yours. Your duty is to Ohinion. Not all magic is a fanfare. Some magic grows quietly over time from the smallest ember. She is the girl we seek. I am certain of it. In The Angel's Calling Part 1 The Girl and the Angel by Victoria J. Price Tiffany Clare was the narrator Annabelle Broad was Fia Kirsty Wolven played Sophie Angel. Charlie Richards was Alexander. Tanya O'Sullivan played the paramedic. Karen Cooper played the nurse. And Maddie Serrell played Hazel. Music and soundscapes were by Chris Gregory and published by Scared Crow Music. Sound effects were from freesound.org and from BBC Sound Effects. The presenter is Kelly Winkler. The Angel's Calling is adapted from her original novella by Victoria J. Price and published with the author's full permission and cooperation. The Angel's Calling is an Alternative Stories 2020 production for the Alternative Stories and Fake Realities podcast. In the next edition of the podcast, we'll bring you part two of The Angel's Calling. You can find out more about Victoria J. Price and the fantasy series which The Angel's Calling is part of by following the links in our show notes and by following her on social media. She posts on Twitter as Victoria underscore J. Price and on Instagram as Victoria J. Price, all one word. We would like to wish all our listeners and their families good health and safety during this difficult time. We will do our level best to continue to put out the podcast and provide you with entertainment throughout the current crisis. 